You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. All right, so this Q&A is a little bit more of a get-to-know-the-guest get speaker, but Costi did that in the first session there. He gave you a lot of details. So some of this is going to be some follow-up questions to what he just covered in that session, and some of it, uh, some stuff that you didn't even touch on. Um, would you, first question, would you say that you were saved there at your study desk reading John 5? Mm-hmm. Would you say that was your conversion experience there? Or were you saved at some other point, or can you even pinpoint the time of your genuine salvation? That's a good question. So for me, I, I use that particular moment as my conversion. And the reason for that is because I actually repented of my sin and what I believed, and then as well made a wholehearted commitment to serve the Lord, preach the true gospel, learn, grow, study, all that. So I, in a real way, I was my eyes were fully opened and I was very determined. Uh, interesting for you to bring that up. It's a great question because Justin, I've often talked with Justin Peters, Tony as well about it. And Tony calls it my grace awakening moment. He's like, I, the way you, because I had preached before at the church and was doing student ministry stuff and even wanting, and wanting to get away from the family and all of that. He he has said before, I think you were saved sometime. Before, we won't know until glory, but at some point your heart was regenerate. You your mind had changed. You wanted nothing. You just hadn't been taught yet. So the moment you started getting tools in front of you, you were like, This is what I want. I'm going all out. Um If if that's the case, then you're talking about late summer of the year you got married when you're making that decision and having that crisis? Yeah, maybe? Probably, you probably right in there is what he would say. And then Justin similar kind of said, brother, I, he said it one time like with his his pit word pictures. He's like, brother, you know, like a sheep, you just, you're sitting there grazing and focused on yourself and then you kind of pick your head up, my, you know, and then you're just back grazing again. But, you know, <laughs> and then that moment comes where you fully aware and you just, you pick your head, you hear the master's voice through his word and that, that's it. You're following him forever and like all that. And so he's like, obviously something was happening to you there to even want that. And I'm like, all right. So, but for me personally, the easiest way to describe it is through the series of events. Yeah. And then that moment, late April, 2013, because at that point, I never looked back again with confusion or or even doubts. I had doubts if I wanted to be in ministry, mainly because I felt like I wasn't qualified or I felt like I could never be like um, other guys that were faithful. And I was thinking, ah, they, you know, I'm. It's too messy. My my storyline is too too messed up. Did you have a fake conversion experience when you were younger, yeah. six or seven? You asked Jesus into your heart. Yeah, probably, probably my baptism at twelve, just getting baptized and making my big profession of faith. But I would have said I was always saved. I grew up. I was born saved. Is what I would say when someone's like, "How long have you been saved?" or "When did you get saved?" I'm like, "I got born saved." Yeah. So, did you have uh, as a hen? Did you have exposure, early exposure to non-prosperity Christianity? 
like teachings. Did you ever hear John mm-hmm. MacArthur preach? Alistair Begg preach, R.C. Sproul preach ever before your conversion? No, the first thing I ever, the first church I ever heard anything preached that I could say that guy at that time would have been a Matt Chandler sermon at the Village Church in 2008, or I guess seven. Yeah, because. Oh seven, oh eight, oh eight, oh nine. My my junior senior year at DBU, I had a friend who invited me to the village church, and this guy gets up there and just talks about the Bible for forty five minutes. I'm like, whatever, okay. Like that was church, okay, cool. And it was the village. So looking back, I'm like, hey. And it was sort of in it was a good era from Chandler, where he was just bringing it. And uh, they were at a grocery store or something, converted grocery store. And then I went back to Gateway. It was like I'm going back because I like you know I want to hear Kerry Job every Sunday and Robert Morris preach. Yeah, that was kind of the jam. For those of you who don't know, Matt Chandler is something of a continuationist, which means he believes in the continuation of the certain spiritual gifts like prophecy. Uh, he wrote the foreword for uh, Sam Storm's book, Practicing the Power, where he argues that you should have modern day prophets in the church. Yeah. But theologically, in terms of salvation and soteriology, Matt Chandler is where we would be at. In terms of believing the reformed doctrines of the faith, believing in sovereign election, etc., it's just it's kind of that odd combination of continuationist as well as more soteriologically reformed. Yeah, and on a Sunday he was just he would get up he was just getting up there and preaching the Bible. It's kind of like when Piper remember the old like John Piper versus John MacArthur continuationist versus cessationist thing. And one of the practical things was always I was always curious about this and thought, man, you know I know Piper's a continuationist, but they all just sing hymns have brass bands, preach the Bible, and then go disciple people. Like, where's the tongues in the... Pro- if you got it, <laughs> why aren't you doing it? This looks like a Baptist church. And um, so Chandler, it was similar back then. They just preached the Bible and went on with it. And I that was the first exposure. The other one was a woman in my... I, I didn't... There's so many details. Some of these are in the book. A lot, a lot of them are. All of them are. But um, for sake of time, I couldn't keep going that first session. But a woman came up to me at my dad's church right before we moved and slipped me a book and said, here, this you should read this. And it was a book called Church Awakening by Chuck Swindoll. And in that book, like Swindoll's pretty, he's pretty, pretty orthodox, pretty clear, yeah. of course, and he would be a cessationist, very conservative in his approaches to things. And in that book, he's very gracious, he's very soft and gentle with things, but he says things about like certain teachers who do this and that. And I remember reading that thing like, ooh, like this book is probably banned. I can't no one can know I have it. And I still have it on my bookshelf to this day. But that was an, another one that I thought people just slip in me things that put cracks in the dam. How close are you to your Uncle Benny? Now? Uh no. back then. Let's start oh, back. Oh, very then. very close. Yeah, I was like the favored nephew and super tight and now? Ah uh, no. He won't talk to me. Not at all. No. Your mom and dad? Uh, mom and dad, yeah. Mom and dad uh, want to move to Arizona and be close to our church and be close to me and be around. My dad and mom have moved away from pretty much all of the... Like, they don't travel with Uncle Benny. They don't go near... My mom, it's really clear. That there's some real... Um, even in the conversations about them wanting to be out in Arizona more and thinking about being more to where we are has to do with all sorts of things similar in the same vein. 
uh, along theology and wanting to get away from the influence? Life, uh, yeah, and it was started years ago when we used to talk about tongues and prophecy and different things. She she was watching what we were going through, and we had a little couple years where we were really estranged because true story, I and this is part of my personality. It sometimes works against me, and so there's things even in the book about reaching others that I tell people to do this a certain way because of my failures, not because I'm super wise. But I brought my parents to California in our little dingy apartment, sitting on our secondhand furniture, and pulled out my, at that point, no longer pink, my own MacArthur Study Bible. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and I opened up to First Timothy chapter 3, and I read to my father verses 1 to 7, and said, you are not qualified to be in ministry. You are a wolf, and Uncle Benny's a wolf. And you need to step down, repent. And before you think there's no hope, I have the solution. He's like, oh, really? And I said, yes, I have very dear friends. And they would love to help you. If you would just repent and, and learn and grow, humble yourselves, they will help you. John MacArthur, Justin Peters, like these guys, you just need to know the guys I know. I'm telling you, they teach the Bible. They'll help you. They don't want to, they don't want to harm you. They want to help. But you need to step down. You're wolves. You need to repent. And of course, that was met with like, not. Oh, you don't say. Okay. <laughs> um, my mom was in that conversation. So that got me. It wasn't like, oh, see you later from Canada. Go to California now. You know, you ruined everything, Christine. But all right, let's see at Thanksgiving. I went all the way with it. Like I believed what the Bible said. I read everything and took it dead serious. Still do. Black and white. There it is. Okay, so I should do this. So I would call. I went after every family member. I called them when they started. My, a couple of my sisters moved up to Bethel. My brother-in-law. They were serving up in Reading. And then they went to Sacramento with Jesus Culture. And I called them. and I literally took the Bible seriously. Went after all of it. And... That got me cut off pretty good to where no one would talk to me. And then over the years, you know, for parents, they don't stay away from grandkids. So I was like, all right, well, but I wouldn't let them see the grandkids for a period of time as well. And one of my conditions with my dad was maybe it seems insensitive or harsh, but remember, there's a difference between family caught up in following like Kenneth Copeland versus when your, your parent or your loved one is an actual false teacher. Jude says that you should have mercy on them with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You want to keep some healthy distance. You don't like, hey, come on over. Who knows what they're going to say? Or like, will you babysit my kids for a date night? And they're like teaching them about tongues. No way. So mm -hmm. with that, I, I definitely put distance as well and said, you cannot, you're not coming to my front door as long as you're teaching heresy and traveling with him. So that was my dad with Uncle Benny. So there was that level, and then, you know, that's again, we're talking anywhere from eight to ten years ago, and then slowly but surely throughout the different eras of time, uh, when the book came out, I called my parents, said, I love Defining you. Defining deception? Yes, and yep. then that one, that one got us cut off fully uh, to where Chris Vallotton, who is a false teacher, false prophet, literally from Bethel, was my sister's, my youngest sister's mentor. And they weren't allowed to talk to me or else they would have curses, cancer, like all the, you know, in calamity, the big three C's if you go near someone. It's like Scientology, like with a suppressive person. So that, that was defining deception. That did not help. That one, my uncle ended up calling my dad 
and saying, like, what, tell your son to knock it off. Like, enough is enough. And then the Christianity Today article, there was other things that kind of started popping up. By the time we got to God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel, I had called my parents. I told them I was coming out with a book on it. I told them I would be respectful, but I would not hold back. And it was around that time that we actually started having more conversations. So my dad got away from traveling. With, he quit, stopped traveling with Uncle Benny. Has your dad read either of those books? He's read the uh, God Greed. My parents read God Greed. And that was painful. Yeah, you tell some honest, honest stories in that. How many of you read the book, by the way? Okay, two or three. You tell some honest stories about your family, your upbringing, and yeah. the environment, what that was like. And reading that, which I just finished it this last week, I thought, did your family read that? Did your uncle Benny read that? Did they approve what you were writing in there? Because no. though you were straightforward and honest, you were very gracious. Yeah. There, so I don't know if my uncle read it or not. I have no idea. Do you think he read Defining Deception? Uh, so that, okay, that one, yes. More family members dabbled in that one because it was the first one. And that was Tony had come to me and said, hey, I'm tired of the Bethel stuff. Because one of, it was a guy who was come back from a conference. He went to our church. He was like, hey, guys. He said he could be the apostle of our church. And Tony's like, yeah, not here you're not. <laughs> and... Keep in mind, like they were talking, this is like 2015, 2016. So clearly we're, we're past the, you know, the era that we were moments church. Uh, we were like master's plan for the church, all that. So he's like, we're like, where'd you learn that? He's like, I just got back from Reading. I went to a Bethel conference. We're like, oh no. And he's like, you know all this stuff? I'm like, oh yeah, my sisters are up there. He's like, oh, here we go. So we were dealing with all of it in-house. Then he said, I'm going to write a book. You want to write it with me? You don't have to. If you do this, though, you're getting in way more trouble than I ever will because this would be a more public stand. And I'm like, let's go. Like, let's ride. So we did. And that one got read, passed around the family, and they were like, how dare he? And I went after all their heroes yeah. with the Hall of Generals chapter. So I went after the movement in that one more than a testimony. And that was my plan. I was like, I don't want to write a testimony book talking about myself. I'd rather go after the theology than the book after because too many people were like, what in the world? You're a hen? How does that work? I was like, all right, I'm going to put it in a book and then please don't make me talk about it anymore. Except tonight, obviously I had to. Yeah, but. that was good. So uh, the God, Greed, and the Prosperity Gospel book then, have you had conversations with your parents about that? Yes. So my parents are further away from where they were ever completely. My dad still has some friends or will end up in a photo with someone or like somewhere. And I'm kind of like, these people are, are weirdos. Like, why are you, why are you even with them? Um, my mom, a little more blunt. And so each time I'm with them, we have strong conversations, good conversations, healthy. I'm honorable and respectful, but they've been to our church. They've sat in our church. Our people are kind to them. And I've pre, I didn't even plan this. They were there for my Ephesians 2. We're going through the book of Ephesians, you know, 90 sermons later. And I met, I did not plan. They were in town. I said, hey, you guys going to come to church? I always invite them. And they're like, yeah, we will come tomorrow. I said, oh, great. And they stay in a hotel somewhere locally. And I said, great. And I didn't even realize it till I was halfway through the sermon that I was in Ephesians 2.20. So I had this whole section on apostles and prophets and the foundation and Christ the cornerstone. I just let it fly. 
And after the, I was like, Hey guys, sorry. I, I didn't mean to knock like you're right, nothing against you. That, that's the verse we're in. And they were like, no, it's great. My dad's like, I'm so proud of you. It's good. I love it. He's like, I listen to your stuff. I, I follow and I, I keep up. I look, you, we say, we believe more of what you say than you ever would have thought. Did I said, you, all right. Does your uncle Benny and your dad still talk? A little bit. There was one conversation. I don't know. I mean, you guys can record this. It's fine. But the we are. It's live streaming. Per, yeah. Hello. <laughs> Say hi to Uncle Benny. Hi. Uh, one conversation that I had was after the last repentance, and I am very eager to be as loud or louder if he were to truly repent for his true repentance than I've ever been over the than his false stuff and that last one was where he's like the holy spirit's sick and tired of it like he's really had enough and i know we can be cheeky and be like oh really like now the sovereign spirit of god has had enough wow i'm glad he's had enough now Uh, apparently he hadn't had enough (laughs) for the 40 years you've been doing this but all jokes aside i sent texts called like wanted to talk to him i was like and i i called he didn't pick up so i sent him this big text message and i said if you're for real I will be at your front door and I will be louder for your true repentance than I've ever been against your false teaching. I love you. Like just bleeding heart, nothing. And so I, I asked my mom a day or two later, I was like, Hey, like, are we like, are we in? Like, tell me when I get on a plane, like, let's go. And my dad said in Arabic, shway, 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 shway means like, easy, take it easy, like easy, easy. I was like, all right. And um, I said, what's going on? And the sentiment from him was that, you know, he's scared to meet the Lord was like the verbatim quote. And I said, well, yeah, it would be too. Like, just repent. Literally, turn. Come on. Just go the other way. And what we've seen over the course of the last, what, five years maybe, where there's been multiple little pop-up repentances, is a fear of, I think, what he knows to be a coming judgment, if he doesn't repent. But also, I think, a Second Corinthians 7, worldly sorrow. A, a man, I... I really have made some mistakes. Man, I've really got quite the legacy here. And what you're having now is some in that camp fight for his legacy. So there's a book that just came out by a guy named Kent Maddox. Anybody heard of him before? Kent Maddox? So Kent Maddox was like one of my uncle's key guys. He wrote a book. It just came out. Don't buy it. It'll only help his his ranking on Amazon. Uh, But it's... Uh, Benny Hinn and the impact he's had on my life or something like that. And now it's starting where these guys say, I know there's so many out there who criticize and some who are even close to him. And you're like, yeah, I know, I, me, I get it. But, you know, but this man, the true anointing, and when he, and he's never fought back because that's what a real man of God does. And so you have this odd, because I don't fight back, I'm noble. And that has been the cadence. It's a fear of the end. A fight for the legacy, never a repentance. And even behind closed doors, when I'll hear family say like, hey, he's different. He re- That's the famous line that I get. And I'm not jaded. I really want it to be true. But my wife and I were just in a conversation two weeks ago with a family member. And I don't want to name them because we're having good conversations. But this individual said, Cost. My whole family calls me Cost. Short nickname. Cost. Uncle Benny, he's different. He's so different. It's like he's getting old. He's thinking he's near the end. Like he's just, he's different. It's not the same. I think something's happened. I'm just like, awesome. Like when, when are we meeting up? Like, let's go, let's do it. And they're like, no, it's not like that. I'm like, well, then what is it? And they're always like, you're so intense with all this. Just lighten up with them. Like it's, 
people change and sometimes they don't need to like come out and you know have a big thing about it and i'm like yeah they do when they've been teaching falsely for yeah. so these are the things that happen behind the scenes and maybe i'm too black and white for some or it's too intense but in my mind if you've been a public figure teaching falsely and we're not talking like oh you had a little cult in your town so just go deal with them like best selling books thomas nelson publishing mm-hmm. like worldwide global famous like you can't you don't just go away to he's living in florida now you don't just go like in your little retirement home on the beach and like lay low and then die and just do facebook lives and some people are paying your bills when paul got saved total 180 zacchaeus went crazy in repent it so it's a lot more like judas than peter and these others. One other question about your family, and we'll move on from that. You mentioned your sisters. How many siblings do you have? Two. Two sisters, older, younger? Uh, one older, one younger. All right. And have you had conversations with them? Where are they at in yeah. observing you and where you're at? Yeah, we just had a, a lunch in Dallas when I was there. And um, they were, so they have been in Reading which, with Bethel, Sacramento, Jesus Culture. Charlotte with Furtick, not kidding. Um, they were living. They were in Fort Worth with Todd White. My sister was his worship pastor, and my brother-in-law was his executive pastor. And then now, and then they were at Mercy Culture, which is a church in Fort Worth. After they had a split with Todd, and now they are uh, moving to Florida, where my uncle, and they're going to do some stuff with Jesus Image for a little while. And I'm like, guys, uh, so. Um, they haven't even started to come out of that movement then. Well, this is where it gets weird and complicated. In our conversations, um, one of my sisters said, "Like, hey, we've they unblocked me on they all unblocked me on Instagram and social media." I was like, "Sweet, like I'm I'm out of jail." <laughs> and and I said, "Hey, just so you guys know, like we're you know sometimes I say things, but like it's just truth. So I love you guys." And and one of my siblings said, "Oh yeah, they're." There's so much that you say and that we watch and listen to you. We agree with you way more than you'd ever think, truly. And like we've been listening to Ali Beth Stuckey now, and we've been listening to this. And I'm like, okay. So there is healthy conversation. After that lunch, they had left Todd White's ministry, and so they're but they're still floating. And so it's good heart training. That's what we call it in our home. Christine and I privately like this is great heart training. Stay soft, stay loving, stay hopeful. Because love, hopes, bears, believes, endures all things. But yes, yeah, sometimes it is like, okay, we're on our like thirteenth false teacher. Are you done yet? Like, yeah. <laughs> come on, guys. Like, it's not. You don't need to like go to Grace Community and and yeah. you know. It, but just why don't you just get out of all that? But there's so much jadedness from that TBN world that unless the God of the universe puts their feet on solid ground and plugs them in somewhere with a solid teaching. They float like almost like a lot of people from the Hillsong stuff. You know, the Hillsong documentary and all that stuff that's come out. You have all these people that are just spinning and they've either left what they thought was the faith, but really all they've left is an organization, yeah, a machine. And so they were never really saved. They were never really blood-bought in it you know, with Christ, really. They just got spit out by something and now they're jaded. So that's what I, I think a lot of my family members have experienced. And it's tough to watch, but we keep praying and keep mm-hmm. encouraging. But yeah, there's some weird stuff. And interestingly enough, on the way home from that trip, 
I was in the airport and I ran into Todd, Todd White. And I had my son with me and I had him. Did you get your leg lengthened? Yeah, I did. He pulled my shoe off. But uh, we had a real, we had a real honest conversation right there in the little Hudson News store. I was just trying to get a bottle of water. And Titus, my son, stood like four feet away because I'm not like prosperity gospel superstitious anymore, but I, you know, he needs to stand like four or five feet away when I'm yeah. in conversation. <laughs> so he stood over by the way, just mind. I didn't want him to hear everything. And, and I had a real, if I, if I had one opportunity, if that's the last time I ever get to see Todd White in person and talk to him, I, I told him everything I could and would have. And he cried and I like, I love you. And I was like, I don't know if that's a good thing or just like a show, but like it would, it would have been, it was something that like if someone was walking by and knew who we were and had a phone on them, like it would be one of those, like yeah. film that. <clears throat> but that's how real it is for me. Like they're, they're all lost and still alive. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to tell them. I, uh, first time I heard of your salvation, Justin texted me and he said, uh, Hey brother, you need to, you need to listen to this voicemail I'm about to send you. <laughs> you I do said, that better than I do. Yeah. <laughs> so he forwarded me the voice message that you left him on his phone, yeah. on his ministry phone. And it was two or three minutes where you introduced who you were, what your background was, that you got soundly saved. Yeah. And I immediately called Justin and I said, Justin, what do you think of that? And he said, go. <laughs> no, he, he said, it sounds legit, but I'm going to call him up and I'm going to ask him some serious questions because if this is true, uh, then I want to hear this story. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, I never forget that day. <laughs> uh, how much speaking and preaching, moving off uh, family relations for yeah. a little bit, how much speaking and preaching do you do outside your local church ministry? Yeah, maybe like six to seven things a year I'll do. Okay. How many kids do you have? Five. Get names. Titus. Ages too as well. Titus. So I'll give you the ages based on the birthdays coming up in like two months. So that okay. way. So Titus is nine in August. Grace will be seven in August. Timothy just turned five in May. He's May the 4th. So may the 4th be with you. He's a little Star Wars kid. Uh, Ruth is three. She just turned three on April 1st. And Lydia Noel is seven months old. Um, yeah, she's almost almost eight months old. And your homeschooling kids, public school, private school? They're currently in a uh, local Christian school because we somehow we don't make enough. We somehow got in. We don't. I don't make enough money to uh, have to pay, so we get free tuition um, on the pastor's discount. And then Arizona is really cool. You already live in a great place, so none of you need to move. But if if we were in like Portland, I would tell people, hey, Arizona has this program where they give, they have an ESA program. They basically give parents $7,000 a year per kid for schooling. You can homeschool or go to a private school. So I have a really good friend. He's the superintendent of a Christian school. It's like the last really awesome Christian. I speak there regularly. We have church members who are teachers. So um, the kiddos there. And then probably start homeschooling them here in the next few years, mainly because I, I like them with us. We've been having a blast and love the discipleship element. And I would have brought one of them with me, but on trips like this, when it's all prosperity gospel and it's all this topic, um, he's too literal. And so it tends to, he'll just, he, it's, he's already heard it once. And so I'm like, you stay home. He was, (laughs) 
he told me, Dad, I, I sat through six hours of preaching, the last one, under Pastor Charles, H.V. Charles, Pastor Tom Pennington. Like, I can handle it. I'm like, it's not that. I think I'm just going to go. I got to say a lot of things that you've already heard, and I don't need to, you don't need to sit there on this one. He's like, all right. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we're all in together. One of your children has an illness? Yeah, Timothy was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer at three months old and is doing really great. And um, that was an interesting family dynamic when we told them all. And genuinely, one of my, it was my brother-in-law, he asked, so honest question, I said, fire away. He said, is there not even one small part of you that thinks like it's because of stuff you've said? I was like, no. He's like, all right, you're that confident? I said, absolutely, like beyond. So uh, he was born or diagnosed with that. You said that was your first kid? Third, Timothy. Um, That happened uh, shortly after you got saved, a couple of years after you got saved, right? Yeah, so Timothy was born in 2018. Okay. So Titus was 2014, Grace 2016. They're all two years apart. Timothy 2018. So we had kind of crossed through, like uh, Defining Deception had come out in 2017 and I was regularly like it had been probably three what is that three or four years at that point of discipleship in seminary was a pastor again it was a family life pastor at our church serving like our families and children ministry and started to be asked to speak on these issues a bit Justin had interviewed me stuff like that and so based on that when his the God Green Prosperity Gospel book wasn't out till 2019. Right. So when Timothy was born and he got diagnosed three months in, so that <clears> summer, <throat> they they were really fresh off of like a year ago you released Defining Deception, and now this, like you're or you wrote it and we've known it's coming. Like you're this is you're touching the Lord's anointed. So how does that play theologically with your family members, particularly your mom and dad? Yeah. In the midst of that, you've got to be having conversations. I guess we're coming back to the family issue again, but you've yeah. got to be having conversations with your mom and dad about, look, dad, if you have the ability to heal, or if Uncle Benny has the ability to heal, he yeah. could he could heal like Jesus heals and just say the word. He doesn't have to be present. Yeah. He can just say the word and, and command and it be done. Yeah. So the fact that I have a child that is ill and been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and he's not being healed, that's huge theological issue or at least a, a a hurdle for them i would think was it at all no and the reason is this i already knew their tactics so i went with a more truth driven rather than a challenge approach and here's what i mean by that there's a place for what you just said covid was one of them like okay faith healers like here's your chance yeah. that would be in my opinion because it's so wide scale you're just like hello and it almost is a time to, in a sanctified way, mock their yep. mock their Elijah on Mount Carmel. Totally. Yep. With this, I went more of a, hey, you know, he has been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer, and we trust the Lord. And and in that moment, one of my my dad, in particular, he kind of rose up. They're at our table. Christine, I'm there. We're alone with them, and he said, no. No, cancer won't touch this house in Jesus' name. And it was my wife who is just not like this vocally ever, even if she says it after when they're gone. She like hit the table godly, but just like she said, no. And I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) And she said, cancer has touched this home. And she's like crying her little fist, you know, on the table. Cancer has touched this home. 
And we trust the Lord. And He gives and He takes away. And she goes on this little like sermonette on the sovereignty of God. And she says, and we will trust the Lord. And I don't want my son to die. But even if he does, God is still good. And she's just like going off. And so it, it was more of a God is sovereign. We trust Him. Your, your little in Jesus' name cancer won't touch this house isn't working and never will. It has touched this home too late. And here's our theology on this. So that route became a very interesting checkpoint. Now here's what they would have done. And this is applicable to where he's at now. Timothy just crossed through one of his important and really important appointments to be five years old. They wanted five year old birthday with no major incidents, and he hasn't. And uh, so, but what my family members will do if, let's say, he's healed or just never comes back, if you leave it to those arguments, they'll say either, well, God. Why Why would we heal you? The Lord, you've touched the Lord's anointed. Even we can't stop that. So there's answer one. So you go, eh, I'm not going to challenge that. Two, there's the, well, we chose to pray for you and have mercy on you and not, the Lord gives us the choice sometimes to allow him to curse or to bless. And because we love you, we've said bless. And so we're not going to fight you. And now they look noble. So it's a real twisted, sick game of if he's not healed, it's because we have said, and you've touched the Lord's anointed. If he, if it does go well, it's because we've decided to stay silent while you are on whatever crusade you're on against us. We have taken the high road. We will bless you and we love you. And so whatever it is, it's the sickest PR twist ever mm-hmm. but so you, you don't play i don't play to those cards i just go theology 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 god's sovereign he's good and so when it all goes well they can claim whatever they claim but in the end it's like no god god's in charge mm-hmm. so that's been helpful for some of these conversations i think i do think they were waiting for everything to implode i don't say this arrogantly at all there's no what is boasting we have nothing that the lord hasn't given they were waiting for my son to get worse our marriage to fall apart, my life to start, you know, falling apart and us to get sick and everything to go bad. And when the Lord, you go through trials still, but when the Lord doesn't kill my son for now, we, Lord willing, we're all, who knows what tomorrow holds. And we're just keep preaching the Bible and everything's kind of simple. That, um, my mom called it recently stability. She said, there's just this stability with you guys. And I'm like, mom, it's because of sound doctrine. That's what it is. She said, I know. It's just, and you know, when my siblings move around to visit like a dozen false teachers and keep deciding, oh, God's moving us here now. I think just like MacArthur or others have said, truth and time go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. You just let, and I pray that with the Lord. I say, Lord, make us real. Like I want to be real, saved, real pastor, a real church. Like don't just let us be let us be faithful. Don't let us ever um, wander from your your word. So with that, my hope is over the years that if we just serve the Lord, that He would He would let that be a witness to some of my family members. Like, hey, are you now convinced that your stuff doesn't work? Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you what does, and I don't want to make you look bad. I just want you to know the Lord. So if that makes sense, yeah, yeah it's a good approach. Um, 
the guy that did the first session went long, so we're going to have to speed this up a bit. So rapid fire answers. You go down the family rabbit hole and it's a mess. Yeah. Like the- <laughs> uh, what are your hobbies and non-ministry interests other than hockey and baseball? Uh, yeah, you took away the two, the two big ones. Uh, I love to hunt. I like the outdoors. Um, going hunting this fall to Wyoming with my boy. And then I like to go on family walks. I love to hang out with my wife. And I like, I'm pretty rough. I like to, I, I have a men's Bible study. We don't do it often, but we, we put out mats. We do jujitsu. We like to fight a little. Um, my boys and I wrestle. Just I like playing sports and I like reading too. Kind of a Bible nerd. Okay. After, after John MacArthur's commentary on John and after Church Awakening by Chuck Swindoll, mm. one of five books that have radically influenced and shaped you since your epiphany. After MacArthur's what? John 5 commentary. His oh, commentary on John. Yes. So that's obviously an influential so, book. So five others than those oh, two yeah. that have that have radically shaped you. All right. Master's plan for the church. And I'm not I won't sorry, it's like that John MacArthur GTY bookstore promo ad. Yeah. It's not. <clears throat> uh, Master's plan for the church, I can't say enough about it. It's just one of those ecclesiology books that that knock your socks off and you go, Why are we doing why would we not do church biblically? Um Another one was J. Max Styles' Evangelism. It's this little red book, and I read that, and it it gave me a a good understanding of evangelism and how I should be. And then there was another one at that time. Back then, there was a little blue book by Mark Dever called Discipling, and it was all about how you should be in the life of your people. You should be making disciples in the local church. You should be meeting with people. And I was like, that's what I should be doing. And so to make disciples was super helpful. Um, that'd be three in particular that impacted. I could list 10 more, but those three in particular were really helpful for how to do church and how to understand um, but I, I really did devour. I did my own work. I went to seminary, and I, I wasn't like, John MacArthur says it. I agree. Um, but reading, like I read pastoral ministry from the faculty at Masters, mm-hmm. and MacArthur's name's on it, but there's other guys. Who are, and that book showed me what it means. I struck or Strouch, um, Alexander Strouch's book on biblical eldership. I was yeah. like, wow, plurality. Okay, that'll keep the train on the track. So thing, books, I read a ton of of biblical church leadership books because I desperately, we were talking earlier about the importance of church leadership. I desperately wanted to know how leadership is supposed to be so that I could try to be that and then just get to serve. Have you ever gone back and reconnected with the coach? Oh, all the time. Yeah. I just narrated the video for DBU's road to Omaha. Oh, uh, trailer. They did the script, but and I, yeah, coach Heath's awesome. Um, you mentioned, praying for celebrities, athletes during your family vacations. Yeah. Can you give us some names uh, that maybe you haven't mentioned in the book and didn't mention today? Yeah. So um, I mentioned Daryl Strawberry, Carl Everett. Oh, you all know. Well, Evander Holyfield. Everybody knows that story. Or if you don't, it was on YouTube. He got healed of a heart condition and then went won a fight. That's like the greatest not good promo ever for the ministry at that time. <laughs> made, him more, made him more famous. Um T and Tamara, the the own it was the the family. I can tell you this here, I, you know the the family that was going through a lot that ended up getting involved. 
you know the Illich family. They own uh, the Red Wings and the Tigers and Little Caesars. It was their – they got in our orbit. Um, so I ended up at the World Series, really good seats, in 2006. Um, games one and two when the Cardinals played the Tigers. Uh, so that whole era was just interesting, the amount of wealth. And and you know what it is? It's not – it's not as though they all bought into my uncle per se. Like they were front row with their hands up. Some of them were. But rich, really, really rich people that aren't saved, who get sick or have kids that are sick or are going through tough times, they just want their great life back. And the prosperity gospel sells you the American dream. So... They want that. They don't want G- if Jesus can give them that. Cool. Give me give me Jesus as a means to my end. So that was the the heart behind it. Who doesn't want to have a a Hall of Fame career, be super rich, and have your kids not be sick? All of them. Mm-hmm. And so they look to these kind of gurus for that. How did your family, your immediate family, your mom, your dad, you guys? become rich? Was it because of your Uncle Benny's ministry and you're writing the coattails of that? Or did you did your dad have his own little prosperity healing gig going on on the side? Yeah, so before we traveled with Uncle Benny, my dad had like the church, uh, his own crusades. He, he was on TV in Canada, locally and across the nation. Um, on, it was called Vision TV was the title of the channel, the network. And uh, his program was called Life in the Spirit with Henry Hinn. My dad had a TV program. Like they would, He copied basically what my uncle was doing in Florida. And then in my teenage years, big money with traveling with Uncle Benny. And that's what pulled from our local church. Like if you looked at what Vancouver Christian Center was the name of it, what it became, it was very bleak. It ended up being very small. It dwindled down. And the reason was that the lure of traveling with my uncle, I mean, you could make six figures on one trip, just come back. So do that again and again. And the money we had, the amount of like the cars and the... You just that basically on salary with your Uncle Benny as part of that ministry, traveling yeah, you and, and paid, part of that. paid per trip. Like yeah. they would pay per trip. And big, like big, like per day amounts, per trip, even a travel day, like massive, massive amounts, big money. <laughs> and and then too, like you you raise money, you take offerings that are big. Like some of the characters that were around, Steve Muncy was this guy from Chicago. He's got the blonde hair and looked like he had a lot of plastic surgery. Um, seriously, it looks like he said way too much Botox. Honestly, and so that's how you know him. You're like, there's Steve Muncy, <laughs> and he's a money he's a money man. He raises big money, and he's the guy yelling on TBN like, "Go to your phones right now! Go to your phones! Like God's gonna bless you!" And you're just like, these poor people. Um, although I know they raise up teachers in accordance with their own desires. Yeah. So there's that. And my dad had a way about him with with fundraising too, and and kind of being that guy. So. You can get paid pretty good raising money as well. Um, in your book, you talk, tell the story of your uncle George dying of cancer. Yeah, on my mom's side. Um, you kind of already addressed this, I guess, with your son on a more personal level about how 
they deal with that theologically? Was there a similar crisis or dealing with your Uncle George dying of cancer? Um, theologically, did they wrestle through that and blame him for lack of faith? Yeah, he was blamed for uh, not attending. There were some weird, weird things that described his death or had decide, described his uh, cancer and and stroke and some of the whole things he was dealing with. There was a whole conglomerate of things. One of them was he uh, had spoken against my dad or the ministry and got around the wrong people. So he was, you don't allow negative voices in your life either. So it's not enough that you don't say anything against them, but when you allow others in your life, your living room, your friendship circles, who speak against a man of God, the same things that come upon them will come upon you. So he had gotten around some people that had left our church, some other family members on my mom's side who weren't too thrilled with my dad and some of the antics. And, you know, they were all they were all in the circle theologically. Like they would have been just as happy at an assembly of God church that had integrity with the way they dealt with finances. And but at that time, he was he was pushing against some things. And you think he was a believer? Yeah, I do think that. I think he was, and I think some others were, just general, normal, believe the gospel types. So it's not that they were, he was reformed or anything like no. that. Just just charismatic, but what Justin would call clear thinking charismatic in terms of he just saw some of the issues and thought this isn't quite right. Yeah, and that that's an important distinction. There's a lot of people that have reached out, I've talked to before, and, and friends, kind people, sweet people who are in the assemblies of God organization denomination or in some of these circles who say you know we don't we don't we're not going to see eye to eye on tongues and on some of these things costy but man your uncle's a heretic like yep and we agree with you on everything and bethel's a problem and we want nothing to do with them like they're clear thinking charismatics is a great way to put it there's a lot of folks like that and they just stay quiet they tend to stay quiet because they don't want trouble because they, they say something and then their own kind start yelling at them and they're just like, I that in their local autonomous church, they operate that way. And I think some of these folks were that for sure. And others were just following a man. Last question. How long did it take you after you came out of that movement from when you got saved mm. to get over the fear, if you had one, that you're speaking out against your uncle and you're not being under the anointing mm. would cause you curses and calamities. How long did it take for you to get over that sus that superstition almost? I, I don't remember. Like, not long. I don't remember having a lot of it. It was guns blazing. Probably too much. Did, did you, you have that fear when you left Vancouver to go to California to be part of that church plant? Uh, yeah, so a few times I wondered, like... <laughs> We were broke, like food stamps broke. And mom and dad weren't sending you a check every month to help no. sustain you. No, and we had gotten rid of it. So I was more superstitious. Here's here's one for you. Maybe this is true. Uh, I was getting rid of stuff because I didn't want it in our house. Because I, I felt like, uh, remember the sin of Achan in Joshua 7? <laughs> there was a ban, and he kept some stuff. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. And <laughs> Joshua was mad because the... The little hooligans from AI do them in. And he's like, you just took down Jericho because we marched around and blew trumpets. And now this little Attila the Hun comes over and takes us out. Like, what? And God goes, get up. Like, why are you on your face? He tells Joshua, rise up. 
and says you're you've been disobedient. So in the same way, I was worried that like Louis Vuitton purses in the closet, my Breitling, <laughs> nice shoes, stuff I had from the prosper. I'm like, get it out of the house. Anything under the ban, get it out. You know. <laughs> Or the Lord won't bless us in the truth now. So that would have been more my superstition, which we did get rid of everything. I've had some people now say like, you should have kept the Hummer, a good off-road car. And, you know. Yeah. Um, or like the, but we, we got rid of every, everything. Like there were some things that it just, I just gave to unbelievers at a work event. <laughs> like here, um, and they're like, what? Like, yeah, like things that were worth thousands of dollars. And um, I didn't know what to do with it all. And so some things though got sold and money money was given to the church. And I was like, this donation made in the name of Benny Hinn. Uh, <laughs> you know, stuff like that was, uh, that was what I was more afraid of. I really did when that moment, the John 5 moment happened, Tony had to, had to yank the leash. He had to rein me in. I needed to be discipled, to be the Mathetes, the learners, the pupils, like the the guy that just just be quiet and be taught. Because I wanted to just, you know, when you know something mm-hmm. and you're in it, and then people defend it, and you're like, you have no idea. Like there's stories I don't even tell. Um, things I I won't say because it doesn't edify that I pray the Lord will. It'll either come out or there's like lifestyle things and things that would have been too much tabloid fare. Like the Bible says things not not even fit to be spoken of. Um, there is, so for me, it was the Lord opened my eyes. I knew that I was on His side and I was saved. So I had no fear. And so that, like, we got death threats and phone calls, and there's different times where I slept in the front of our apartment with a shotgun and was like, you know, I might have to defend my house tonight if they come try to kill us. Um, but so that that fear, quote, like, I'm someone may show up to church and, you know, come after me. Mm-hmm. But never, never if I say things, our home's going to get hit. I was thinking, we're on the side of the truth. And I believe God's word. And I know we're actually saved. Even if we die, we're... In God's will. Yes. Sovereignty. Total sovereignty. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.